Tech Trends is an original podcast series that dives into topics like quantum computing, 5G, tech for social good, and design thinking. Our conversations touch on how tech can transform the way businesses deliver for their customers, clients, and communities. For more information, visit jpmorganchase.com technology. This is MIT Technology Review. You have so many reasons to protect your forests. Smokey Bear has been part of American culture since the 1940s. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. For generations, he's been warning via cartoons, radio shows, and comic strips about the role people play in starting fires. Every tree is a family tree with families much like yours. So please be careful with fire. These days, the character has a new lease on life as a digital voice assistant, carrying those same messages and educating the public. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. But there's a reason for that phrase, fight fire with fire. Fire suppression isn't necessarily a good thing for forests. It can raise the risk of much larger fires, and we've been doing it for decades. The world also faces growing threats from climate change, with a dangerous mix of extreme heat and drought. For more than six months, Australia has burned. Now to Northern California and a devastating development in the fight to control the state's largest wildfire this year. Seattle's air was choked with smoke for a second day on Thursday. Wildfires have left Oregon and Washington state with what official data shows is the worst air quality in the nation. The United Nations predicts a global increase of extreme fire by perhaps 50% by the end of the century. And those who live in their path will need to do much more than just put out their campfires. Wildfire can destroy your home and property. Prepare your home with fire ignition resistant materials before wildfire strikes. Researchers are working on algorithms to improve forecasting, more quickly detect fires when they start, and pinpoint their locations before they spread. I'm Jennifer Strong, and in this first of a two-part series, we head to the woods for a better understanding of the challenges firefighters face and how technology might help. Hmm. Let's go. In Machines We Trust. I'm listening. A podcast about the automation of everything. You have reached your destination. Walk in here a little bit. This is Big Sky, Montana, next to Yellowstone National Park. And I'm here to learn firsthand how firefighters are starting to use AI. There's a lot of wind and a whole lot of tree branches and other things on the ground, which, to a fire, means fuel. And you look at just the amount of fuel that's in here, it's, I mean, it's pretty staggering of how much dead and down material on the ground. And this is, this is like this throughout our entire fire district. I'm taking a walk with the town's deputy fire chief, Dustin Tetro. He enjoys experimenting with tech and figuring out how it can be useful to his team. Among the tools they're experimenting with are high-definition cameras that can detect smoke and pinpoint its location. When you look at the density of the forests that we have to work in, you a lot of times don't know where a fire's at. So before the camera, we would get a call and say, hey, somebody sees smoke from the highway. 
And so that, that was what we would get. And our engines would just be driving around aimlessly trying to figure out where this smoke's at. So that smoke could be in something like this in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, a small fire that started in here and we put an engine down here trying to figure out where it's at. Next thing you know, it gets a little bit of wind on it. The, our guys would essentially lose their escape route getting out of here. And so having that situational awareness from that camera to look at it from above and be like, hey, this thing's still just smoking. You guys can keep going and looking for it. Or, hey, you know, this thing's running towards the road. Need to get you guys out of there right now. Real-time data is hard to come by. And we'll dig into that a bit later in the series. But much of the information fire districts like this one have access to is refreshed daily at best. So for me, I can, I can pull it up and I can get just a static snapshot real quick if I want to of kind of what's going on. Or I can grab that camera and I can manipulate it and spin it around and take a 360 degree look at kind of what's going on in the surrounding. And then I can also, you know, go up, down and pan around as much as I want to on it. And so I can zoom very, very far in detail um, into certain areas to, to try to figure out what's going on. And then there's also the piece of, you know, I can mark a fire on there as well. So if I know, hey, there's a fire there, and, you know, for some reason the AI is not picking it up, I can mark a fire. Or, you know, vice versa, where the AI picks up a fire and then it goes through um, their dispatching center and they're like, no, I don't think that's a fire. And then we can say, no, that is a fire and we can mark it too. Fire is a natural part of a forest ecosystem. It clears away fuel from the forest floor and recycles nutrients into the soil. It's why forest managers sometimes prescribe fire, or a fire they manage. This place up here, there's little small portions of it that in the last hundred and something years have been logged, but for the most part, I mean, it just hasn't been, nothing's been touched up here. And, you know, any sort of fire has been aggressively suppressed up here. So there hasn't been any fire on the landscape. And it's just led to this, you know, accumulation of fuel. So, yeah, this really brings it home, all right. Yeah, yeah, and just, you know, you'll come back next year and there'll be a $4 million house sitting in this little spot right here. Big Sky is in the midst of a housing boom. Home prices have risen nearly 80% in the past three years, and more people are living here year-round, instead of just during the ski season, when the fire risk is lower. All of this has added urgency to the fire problem and helped Tetro more quickly adopt new tools meant to protect people and their properties, including those cameras. As it's, it's there and it's seeing all these things like, you know, dust from a heavy piece of machinery, you know, on a gravel lot or all these different things, it's learning from those. And then it's making the AI that much better. So like this year, I don't think we've gotten any false alarms this year off of it. I think everything that we've seen off of it have been legitimate or they've been, you know, somebody's actually burning something and it's catching it or picking up fires from a long ways away. It's picking up fires from one valley over, which is like 20 miles as a bird flies away. Wow. So it's picking those fires up too, which is just crazy. It's wildfire season and the constant din of helicopters draws my attention to the sky. He lets me know, though, it's actually construction work we're hearing. Pouring concrete with helicopters up there. <laughs> yeah. So they've got a big bucket. You know, like a water bucket you'd see like on wildland fire fighting, but it's concrete, flying it up and they're dumping it into the forms up top. It's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, the, the problem just keeps getting worse and worse. And it's left us, you know, as, as fire organizations trying to figure out ways to maybe get the upper hand in, in tools like wildfire detection cameras and technology that's out there is amazing. It's just you need people in positions like mine who can figure out a way to adapt that technology to make it useful for our jobs and to make our jobs safer and, and to make it more efficient.
know, if you get a big fire up here, you get all these people that are up here in VRBOs and who, you know, maybe got a taxi or an Uber or they have these mountain shuttles that bring people up here. Mm-hmm. But it adds a whole new complexity to it because now they don't have an avenue to get out. They don't have a vehicle to get out. And they half of them don't know how to get out or where to go. And so you're sitting there trying to, you know, figure out, one, who's here? How many people are here? You know, and then, two, like, do they have transportation? How do we get them out of there? You know, where can we put them and things like that? And so that's been a big effort. We got a grant this last year, and we've been working hard on some evacuation modeling and stuff like that to be able to make some better decisions. It's a problem with many moving parts and a lot more complexity than I think most of us realize. Many decades of fire suppression and other factors have led to a buildup of fuel. Population, development, and tourism are all booming and adding new complexities. Plus, construction is happening deeper into the forest, sometimes where roads don't support fire services like tanker trucks. And cell service is spotty at best. But we've pushed really hard, like on the developers up here, for non-combustible construction. So you'll see like most of these houses will have some masonry, mm-hmm. blocks, stuff like that all the way down to the ground. We've done away with bark mulch next to the house. So there shouldn't be any bark mulch unless it's an older house that maybe grandfathered in. Boxing the eaves, so the underside of the soffits there, they're all boxed in. There's no holes or anything there that embers can get into. Assessing the potential fire risk of a property is an important but very time-consuming task. As part of this reporting, I met a fire chief who told me it would take his team 100 years to complete this process for his community. And the thing no one wants to talk about is that high-risk areas face a real possibility of being erased within decades. There's only two insurers left that are, that are writing insurance up here because of the, the risk. The new software that they're using to do risk modeling, the base risk for Big Sky almost puts it over insurable property. And then they have to pretty much, through mitigation measures and utilizing ignition-resistant material and things like that, they have to pretty much earn their way into getting insured. I mean, that's that's kind of the the climate that we're living in with the insurance industry right now up here. It's pretty crazy. And so we get we get probably at least two calls a week of a homeowner saying, "Hey, my insurance company's going to drop me unless I do this, this, or this." And it's like, okay, well, you know, we come up with a plan. The insurance adjusters, you know, or they look at us and they're like, "Oh, no, these guys know what they're doing," and and we'll go by whatever they say for you guys to do. So that's kind of how it's been working a lot up here. It's pretty wild. After the break, we meet someone helping the insurance industry design this process, using image analytics to plan for future wildfires. And later in the series, we'll learn about a fire district in California that's automating that risk assessment process for its homeowners. You can find links to our reporting in the show notes, and you can support our journalism by going to techreview.com slash subscribe. We'll be back right after this. Tech Trends is an original podcast series that dives into topics like quantum computing, 5G, tech for social good, and design thinking. Our conversations touch on how tech can transform the way businesses deliver for their customers, clients, and communities. For more information, visit jpmorganchase.com technology. Before a disaster strikes, insurance collects small amounts of money from many different groups, like groups of homeowners or businesses, so that when the unthinkable happens, they're protected. 
That only works, though, when no more than a set portion of the group is affected. So simple example is climate change. That is affecting everybody. So the, the original purpose of that equation to, to leverage the power of many to address the possible few that are going to be affected is no longer applicable because climate change affects everybody. So in such a scenario, what does the future of insurance look like? My name is Shankar Narayanan. I lead insurance practice at Fractal. Fractal Analytics uses AI to help insurance companies design the claims process for natural disasters, including wildfires. Over the past few years, there's been tremendous technological advances, which allows for us to leverage satellite imagery, drones, etc., to understand the extent of damage much faster, more effectively. But if you if you go back in time, that used to be one of the biggest challenges. So how do we create an effective data framework that allows us to capture all of the key information that is required to understand how wildfire spreads. To do that, you need to understand the history of wildfires in a given area. And so his first step is to put together a big-picture understanding of the wildfire ecosystem, allowing him to better predict and prepare for the next one. So if you take a geographical location and study through drone images and satellite imagery, how is the geographical area set up? You know, how many buildings are there? How much ranch space is there? How many commercial versus personal properties are there? So there's a lot of data that goes in into understanding how is it structured? How is an area structured, right? But there is also a lot of unstructured data, which is the image of how they are organized, right? And these images give us real good understanding of what may be the uh, spark points, right? How can something spread very quickly versus how can you control or contain the extent of damage? It means image analytics are key, both before and after a fire. If I go back about three, four years, our ability to understand the extent of damage was actually limited by how quickly we could make an accurate assessment of the damaged area. Now, that has become substantially advanced in terms of the amount of post-image data that we can get, one, as well as the speed at which we can get that. Today, we are able to get it at T plus three. Within three days, we are able to get much detailed, granular image data to allow us to understand the extent of damage. He's using deep learning algorithms to much more quickly analyze the damage after a fire as part of the insurance claims process. And he's also using it to make better predictions about future damage. The number of such events, if I take a cumulative uh, you know, set of uh, events, has not been that many for us to make you know, extremely accurate predictions. That's where we use techniques such as generative adversarial networks, right? So these GANs, as we refer to them, are very advanced algorithms that allows us to actually simulate the likely uh, you know, occurrence of a wildfire. So, so we can actually change various parameters. You know, If over the next 10 years, temperature, overall temperature increases by half a degree, then what's the likely change in the probability of occurrence of wildfire is something we are able to do now because we are able to simulate um, the occurrence of wildfire as opposed to actually waiting for it to happen and then modeling it. And he believes AI can help expedite the claims process for policyholders in other ways too, so people impacted by fires and other natural disasters can spend less time on paperwork. How can AI be used to produce the right kind of data? instead of making this an even more convoluted process for policyholders. 
so that's where we are doing a lot of work today in seeing how can we use the you know the power of generative adversarial networks to test experiment create more simulations create more models that can improve the overall accuracy and efficiency of the of the models that we are already using We'll take a closer look at the tools and technologies being used in the field, from satellites and drones to those smoke-detecting cameras we heard about earlier in part two of our reporting on wildfires. This episode was reported and produced by me, Anthony Green, and Emma Silicons. It was edited by Matt Honan, mixed by Garrett Lang, with original music from Jacob Gorski. If you have an idea for a story or something you'd like to hear, please drop a note to podcasts at technologyreview.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Strong. This is MIT Technology Review.